he looked like a very happy kid, healthy kid. He just didn't speak at all. But those last four years uh, have meant more to me, I would say, than uh, 20 years before, because I've learned a lot more in those four years than in all of my years of studies. With mental stories and mental outcomes, you're listening to This World is Mental with your hosts, Robbie Thompson and Francesca Stutley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This World is Mental. This time, we've opted to change our intro music because Lola is an amazing pianist, and we did our first remote episode at her autism center called DAR, and there just happens to be a piano there, so why not have her play some beautiful music? I'm going to go ahead and start out by asking Lola exactly how do you say your last name? My last name is Smolokovsky, but just think of Swarovski. Ah, nice. <laughs> Anyways, Lola is a, an amazing person. Um, she's done so much in her life, but um, the one thing and how it plugs into this podcast um, is autism. And she's an autism activist. Lola, we're so excited to be sitting down with you uh, here in your lovely center. And uh, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Thank you very much for coming, guys, first of all. I mean, we're only in this building since three months, and we are still getting used to host people, and it's very nice to have visitors, have guests. First of all, I think I need to uh, apologize um, in advance uh, because English is not my uh, native language, so mm-hmm. sometimes I might be in lost for words or even expressions. <laughs> and um, I was born in a country that doesn't exist anymore. I was born in... Uh, Soviet Union, which uh, split it when I was about 14 and uh, made uh, 15 separate countries, right? <laughs> and uh, which is why when somebody's asking me where you're from, I have trouble saying, is it Russia? Is it Ukraine? Is it Uzbekistan? Because it was one big country, wasn't it, at the time? I grew up in uh, Moscow. I went to school in Zanzibar, Africa for a while because this is where my parents were relocated as uh, diplomats. Uh, I uh, spent my um, early teenager years in Switzerland, in Geneva, mm. and uh, I ended up in Spain seven years ago. So um, I would have trouble really defining myself of where I'm from, to be honest. Me and myself, we're a little bit like a citizens of the world, whereas Spain for now, so I would say we're... Spaniards. <laughs> uh, my um, major education um, is in arts. I finished uh, two uh, very acknowledged institutions of uh, classical music, one in Moscow, one in Geneva. Uh, in parallel, I always studied foreign languages uh, because my father as a diplomat, he was adamant that I learned languages. So um, I've done uh, translation and interpretation diploma in English and in French. And um, this whole uh, aspect, as you called me an autism activist, it's uh, pretty new to me because uh, I uh, gave birth to twin boys seven years ago. I was in my late 30s. And uh, three years after they were born, uh, one of them, Darius, had uh, shown uh, symptoms of uh, autistic spectrum. And this is how I got introduced into that field. So I would say it's still pretty much new to me because he's only seven. Uh, but those last four years uh, have meant uh, more to me, I would say, than uh, 20 years before because I've learned a lot more in those four years than in all of my years of studies of other things. I've been um, face-to-face with a couple autism charities back in the UK, you know, and there's a lot of talk, but the level of, of care especially there's one um, with this lady, Tiffany. 
her, both her kids were diagnosed autistic. And these, the husband and wife, um, they were go-getters. You know, they, they just had the world and they were going after it. And they thought kids, is, it fits into the equation now. And they said that, you know, we asked them about how did you feel like when you found out? And they said it was so tough at first, um, but it became a gift because it caused them to see the world in a completely different way. And I mean, it sounds like the, the same story with you. Sounds very, very familiar to me because it started from a place of desperation, uh, fear, uh, denial. Mm -hmm. And now four years later, uh, I would think I will be able to say yes, that was a gift in a way. Um, it's actually um, an allegory because Darius um, at home is called Dar. This is his uh, diminutive, his nickname is Dar, which in Russian language means a gift, mm -hmm. a bonus, I would say. And the reason for it was because uh, I had uh, trouble becoming pregnant. Uh, we, me and my husband, we tried for a number of years and then finally when pregnancy happened, we were lucky to be pregnant and all of a sudden, about six weeks into the pregnancy, we say we were having twins. So I said, whoever is the second is a bonus, is a gift. So uh, this is how the name Darius also came. And uh, recently I uh, also discovered it in Spanish language, it's a verb that also means to give. And all these puzzle seem to come to me, it means something, which is why I retained that nickname, Dar, across all of my uh, um, projects. It's the uh, name of my charity organization, it's the name of my club now, it's the name of my um, autism uh, activist uh, uh, part of things. So, um, yes, I do see it as a gift, but it was a gift that I had to pay for uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you say that both your kids are autistic? No, no, only one only of them one. has oh, okay. uh, shown a uh, spectrum, which is a big yeah. mystery to me because uh, as far as I understand, this is uh, something uh, genetic that they have inherited from uh, uh, their father, who is also uh, an Asperger, which is uh, actually a kind of autistic that uh, only shows a spectrum in the social skills and the central nervous system, not as much uh, intellectually or verbally. Uh, his speech is intact, he's very intelligent, uh, he speaks five languages, which uh, is um, uh, fluently, but uh, his uh, sensory system is uh, impaired. And uh, Darius has um, inherited this gene, and you would think that it would be also the case of his twin brother, but um, mysteriously, he wasn't. <laughs> uh, speaking of Asperger's, I think um, Elon Musk came out yeah. with that. He, he did it live on Saturday Night Live back in the US. Um, he came out and admitted this. and. Um, you know, you could always sense there was some kind of social awkwardness, but I think when you learn how to channel those things and put them towards the strength side of your life, mm -hmm. then you can make huge strides, right? Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what I discovered also uh, at the time when I met my uh, kid's father. I had no knowledge about this, mm -hmm. no whatsoever, because I've never encountered anyone. And actually, the things that can be qualified as uh, spectrum, what what drew me to their father, if in all fairness, if we start to uh, take it back to history, how it happened, uh, this, as you said, a certain awkwardness, a certain uh, uh, strides, uh, some of the patterns of the behavior that he showed was actually what drew me to his personality and ultimately uh, resulted in us becoming a family. So uh, I don't necessarily see it as a handicap of, of a kind. I saw this, uh, I saw your website, we were looking at it yesterday, <laughs> and we saw this 
um, talk about this new technique for teaching people, um, especially young people, how to play masterpieces, um, but in a much easier way. And I wanted to ask if there's any, those teaching techniques which you developed and, and you know, um, became successful and you saw the results with, with young people, are you able to take any of those techniques and use it with um, autistic kids in any way? I'm trying to use it with my own son, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, as any mother would say, uh, uh, it's a bad idea when a parent is a teacher for their own kid because they expect more <laughs> immediately. Uh, but definitely, definitely using in a, um, in a field of um, education and development, uh, cerebral development. Uh, music is actually very therapeutical for all people. And uh, in Switzerland, for example, in uh, homes for senior citizens, they have uh, um, a mandatory hour of classical music per day. And instead of just gathering people and put a record, they invite uh, a musician. This is how I uh, met the therapeutical side of music, because I could see effect on the people immediately mm -hmm. from in the age of 17 or 18, I think I was. What was the effect? The effect is uh, on those who are in some kind of um, stigma or, or they, they are not reacting too much, they would react all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. People who uh, didn't want to come because they say, well, I don't like classical music, that was because they only heard it on a record. And once they see an instrument and see a person playing it, it's a completely different perspective, so they will stay, they immediately arose. Uh, there were some of the patients who would uh, have uh, trouble sleeping, they would fall asleep to classical music. All kinds of uh, therapeutic effects um, on seniors, I saw that with seniors. And then much, much later, I mean, got to uh, 2000, 20, probably yeah, a couple of years ago, and I thought, listen, I can try it also with my son, because I could see he had trouble sleeping, he had some of the meltdowns some of the time, so instead of just um, giving him a bath, I said, yeah, why don't we just sit around and play a little bit, yes. Fran, this is right up your alley, too. This is like, actually, music is just vibrations, right? Exactly. Through sound. Yeah. And you know, I, it, it's not so much my space, but I see friends from back home um, doing sound therapy with like bowls and this. And there is a hypnotic trance-like quality to the sound, even though I'm... Well, it changes your, your brain waves, basically. So, yeah. You go down from beta to alpha and it's a re relaxing. And that's what happens. And when you relax and you, you feel better and then you breathe more deeply and then you feel more alive. So, And particularly to autistic because uh, um, they perception of information is different from us. We first see things and they first hear things most of the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very easier to reach a certain effect through the hearing than through uh, touch or sight or explanation or anything like that, which is why I think music is... Uh... Speaking of music and this mind space that we're exploring in this podcast, I mean, you go back, you mentioned Beethoven's Fifth earlier. You go back, these, these true masters of music. Right? First, I love the piano because it's the bass and the treble at the same time. It's one of the only instruments that's like that. But the command across... Um, you know, all the keys and everything um, that you have, you can really dictate a feeling. And I believe yep. that back then there was no television, there was no radio. If you heard music in the street, it would be considered a gift if it was good. And if you got, if you were um, 
privileged enough to be in high society to see one of these masters play, it would invoke an emotion. And I think that's what helped carry those masterpieces through the test of time and that they're just considered classics. And this classics. is why they never fade and they will stay long, over, yeah. uh, long after we are gone. And this, uh, I don't want to diminish in any way um, the modern music because there's a lot of wonderful things that have been written in the past century and still being written now. But those classical masterpieces, as you say, it's the uh, same as architecture, same as art, same as a painting. I mean, they are everlasting and they will have effect forever because they uh, are are touching the very, on a physical level, uh, the, the human self, mm -hmm. I would say. And we speak about that on this podcast as well, that mental, we, we say this world is mental, um, and we do that as a pun because it, it, it is a crazy world, but everything actually boils down to perception and mentality, um, and how one musical piece touches me might be completely different mm -hmm. for Fran, um, so yeah, exploring that with you, because she says, I don't know how I graduated. We've watched videos of you playing, <laughs> I mean, videos from 30 years ago, 1992. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is on a camcorder and the sound quality is amazing still. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it, we, were, we were shocked in the office mm -hmm. when, we, mm -hmm. when we listened to it. And then you've, um, we saw the latest one, which is on YouTube. You guys definitely check this out. Mm -hmm. But um, in 2010, the, la the most recent one, I think it was on homeorchestra.com. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's just, it's amazing to see somebody come out. You have a whole ensemble there. You have an audience there. You have an MC. And everybody's kind of wait waiting for the pianist, which happened to be you. Mm -hmm. And you go and you sit down and you command this energy right before you hit that first note. Um, what does that feel like? I mean, what does that feel like? I know you're trying to deliver an amazing show, but it's got to be something more personal because music's been your whole life since five years old. It is absolutely amazing, yes. It's so interesting that you have caught this on the, on the tape. Uh, feeling of a pianist waiting for this first note, the synergy between 60 people in the orchestra and the conductor, it's absolutely amazing. I don't think I can compare it to anything else because um, you're like a captain of a ship mm -hmm. and you depend on your crew, but then unless you do that first move, nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then you trust them and they trust you. This kind of um, experience unfortunately is very rare because to uh, be able to play with the orchestra you have to pass a certain uh, steps mm -hmm. and not many people have uh, the patience or time or, or even uh, health conditions to, to do piano study for 20 years until they get to play with the orchestra. This was the whole thinking behind the home orchestra. I want to give people a possibility even in the early stages of learning an instrument, not only pianists, mm -hmm. violinists, cellist or any other soloist mm. to have that experience even if it's on the record mm. but uh, um, you know we often get um, compared to uh, somebody wanting to have a go at painting a Mona Lisa mm. many professionals um, resent that idea because it's sacred to them and they've spent so many years perfecting the craft to be able to do that and then uh, they think that by giving it and making it accessible to everybody, you somehow diminish the value of it. I completely disagree because the therapeutical effect of it surpasses all of the other reasoning. We'll be back with that in just a moment. 
As the owner of Pure Organic CBD, I can honestly tell you that if you're looking to buy CBD oil, whether it be for pain, sleep, anxiety, mood, emotional support, or even maybe just for your pet, there is no better product out there than our CBD at pureorganiccbd.com. Everything comes from Switzerland. It's all handmade. It's lab tested by professionals. And right now we're giving a discount for our podcast listeners for 20% off. Just use coupon code 20podcast at pureorganiccbd.com at checkout and you'll receive a 20% first time discount. Anyways, back to the show. So Lola, what was the hardest part for you with your son being autistic? Uh, I would say it was not uh, really the um, what's happening at the moment because nothing has changed from day to day. I mean, it was the same kid and he looked like a very happy kid, healthy kid. He just didn't speak at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had some um, shortcomings where his twin brother would not. For example, Darius didn't want to get his hair cut. His, cutting his nails was always a problem. You know, that sort of thing, sensory thing. But uh, my uh, worst, hardest thing for me was a projection of how he would be perceived by society when he grows older and those kind of things can drive you crazy you know because um, as a mother you would hope for the best and for your child not to be only happy but also very settled in society and this is what we teach them from beginning right and uh, um, it was a complete um, devastation for me mm-hmm. and uh, did you did you get some help uh, so, sorry yeah, just especially uh, myself grew, being brought up in uh, schools and uh, educational um, uh, um, centers with very gifted children and some of my uh, present classmates are world famous musicians now at the moment so yeah I think my uh, fear was mostly a projection mm-hmm. yeah. did I get any help? not too much no, because none of my family have never experienced it. As I said, uh, my son's father is an Asperger, but uh, strangely enough, uh, why this ended up being a gift, it's only through Darius and his experiences that my husband started looking into what was happening to him, what he considered just to be his default his entire did life. Did he not realize he had he Asperger's? Did. No, oh, really? no, because in our country, no one would never speak of it. We've, it was not uh, common knowledge unless you went specifically to a doctor to see what's wrong with me. I mean, he always just thought that he was very, very sensitive, that he was uh, socially a little bit awkward. He perceived it as him being just a bad person or something like that. Yeah, and, and now he found answers to many questions, which uh, helped so a lot. We, we, wow. we did a podcast episode about ADHD, um, and Miss um, Rain, she didn't even realize she had ADHD until she was, what, 48? Yep. And mm-hmm. then I think, you know, I'm, I'm 40 myself, um, and growing up in the 80s when I started going to primary school, it wasn't like parent, parents, again, we revisit this topic, parents didn't want it, even if there was something glaringly wrong, parents didn't want to admit it in the hopes that it might just go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would think even before that, um, that feeling was even stronger. Um, yeah. So you might have people um, my age and up that just been totally undiagnosed for, for things that dictate their whole personality, dictate the community around them. Life choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I th- I'm always interested in, in, you know, when there's somebody who has a, a challenge, that the, the focus is on the person that's got the challenge, the child, but then what about the people that look after them? That's the draining bit, and I think it's, it's draining enough to be a mother, but then to have an extra challenge, it must be really, really difficult. I just... It really, it really, really was, yes. I would yeah. say that probably that year after Darius was diagnosed was 
hardest so far in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think what you're doing is just absolutely incredible. It's you're learning about how to care for your son, and you're learning how to care for others that are like your son. And not only that, then you're bringing specialists and that knowledge here where it's a need. And you're willing to share that knowledge with all who want to participate and you're, yes. you know you're doing this charitable aspect mm -hmm. of it and just uh you know i couldn't think of a more beautiful gift that you've given to the children in in javier and in this area so thank you um, thank you very you know, much yeah which is why i'm very happy that dar is uh, it is a gift yes. it really is um in my um i would say utmost wish would be to be able to change the face of autism a little bit, to uh, be able to change and sh make a shift in uh, how society perceive it, not as a defect, but to some point even as an advantage. Because, um, for example, something that I would not have ever known if I didn't uh, come across this topic is that uh, how autistic children, especially with the early autism, actually, are very, very beautiful. They're very, very beautiful people, inside and outside. Mm. And I didn't know that it was actually a scientific fact. There is a, um, a scientific term that's called princely face mm -hmm. that is encompasses the uh, facial traits, uh, very much the same like uh, uh, children with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, they all look like brothers and sisters because they have the same uh, facial traits. Uh, early infantile autism have the something that's called princely face, extremely beautiful, out of this world look, mm -hmm. very symmetrical uh, facial features. And because I've seen so many uh, autistic children through experience with Darius, I said, listen, I mean, this could be my son's brother. Yeah. And at a certain point, it even clicked to me, why don't we use it to their advantage, actually? Because, you know, we live in a society where beauty is everything, <laughs> basically. I mean, there are so many people who have their door open to them just because they are good looking. And I created this... Um, a movement within my uh, um, within my uh, charity that's called uh, um, Special Models. Mm -hmm. Actually, we have photographed and make a portfolio, professional photographic portfolios for some of the autistic children and send them to the biggest uh, model agencies yes. and got uh, very interested uh, yeah. responses because just out of the world uh, um, beauty. beauty, fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, yeah. I know every time I drive by here, I'm going to see this place not just as Dar, but as Lola's school for the gifted children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you, yeah. thank you so Absolutely. so so much. Yeah. And I, yeah, we have a special treat for everybody. Um, we've asked Lola if she wouldn't mind playing just a little bit on the piano. Yeah. But uh, Lola, thank you so much for having us along at your center. Thank you, thank um, you for doing the work and spreading the the great work. Yeah. Thanks for listening to This World is Mental. This episode's proudly sponsored by Pure Organic CBD. Go to pureorganiccbd.com. Use promotional code 20podcast for 20% off your first order. You can follow us on social media, like Facebook and Instagram, and stay tuned here for more episodes. Thanks for listening. Oh.